You've tuned in to Chaos to the Fly, a podcast for fans of the darkness and the supernatural by Greg Newbigin. If you'd like to reach out to provide feedback or say hello, send an email to info at chaostothefly.com or if you'd like to share an experience, send the details to stories at chaostothefly.com and it might be included on future episodes. Now, let's get down to business, shall we? G'day Fly people, and welcome, finally, to episode 14 of Chaos to the Fly. This one comes two weeks, no, one week late, come two weeks after episode 13, simply because I was unwell this last week, and as luck would have it, I'm even more unwell this week, but I couldn't miss another week, so we'll see how this one goes, because I'm incredibly under the weather, but I think my voice is okay, and that's all that needs to be good. So, of course, the content needs to be good too, and I think we've got pretty damn good content today. We've got coverage of the devil in detail. I know I did say last week that I was going to be doing Satan, but I decided to go right on into the devil because, Satan, devil, same thing, pretty much. You'll hear a lot about it, actually, as I read over my notes, so hopefully you will enjoy. We have a, a really good ghost story, of course. I've decided to give you two reviews this week simply because I cheated you out of an episode last week. So this one should be a a longer one than usual and hopefully with some absolutely fantastic content that will be really, really tough to beat. Last week, of course, we did the Seven Deadly Sins, which was fun to cover. Had two ghost stories because they were a bit short and I talked about a movie called A Quiet Place, uh, which you likely have heard of. Maybe, maybe not. It's a pretty good movie. Yeah, so let's crack on into episode 14. Apologies once again. So what happened last week? It was the end of financial here in Australia, end of financial year here in Australia, and it was just busy in my daytime job. And I couldn't keep up with everything as well as all of the podcasts that I do at home, so I just kind of burnt out. Now this week I am actually really unwell, as in I have a virus that has affected me quite negatively for the last two days. I struggled to get out of bed, but here I am because yeah, can't miss two weeks in a row. That would not be any good. So let's go into episode 14. I'll see you on the other side. Hope you enjoy it. The devil. The devil is primarily a creation of the Abrahamic religions, and has been attributed many names over the years, or perhaps it would be more accurate to suggest that many individual demons or fallen angels have been associated with the entity that is known as the devil. However, virtually all religions acknowledge polarity, and most forms of religion will reflect in their teachings the opposing forces of good and evil, in many cases even assigning these forces a name. However, the idea that an evil entity exists that is the direct antithesis to the good that is God, and thus the ruler of all things evil, is very much rooted in Abrahamic tradition. Interestingly, when it comes to the history of the devil itself, it would appear that it did not start out as a wholly evil being. First mentioned early in the Hebrew Bible, the Satan is a prosecutor under Yahweh who tests the loyalty of Yahweh's followers through suffering. Later, Yahweh grants the Satan, and yes, the Hebrew Bible does refer to this entity as 
the Satan, and I'll get into that in a second. Yahweh grants the Satan authority over the fallen angels, with the job to tempt humans into sin and then punish them. Kind of sounds like spiritual entrapment to me. It's around this time that the Satan begins to take on more malevolent features and is subsequently seen as wholly evil. So, why is this entity referred to as the Satan? It's actually quite interesting and has to do with the etymology of the word itself. The Hebrew word Satan is actually a generic noun that simply means accuser or adversary. It very specifically refers to anything that is in opposition to something else. When used with the definitive article, that is, the word the, it then becomes the entity originally referred to among Yahweh's prosecutors, the accuser or the adversary. It isn't until later sections of the Hebrew Bible that Satan begins to be referred to as a singular entity without the definite article. Much later, in Greek translations of the Old Testament, the Hebrew term Ha-Satan is translated as Diabolos, which in Greek means slanderer, and is part of the root origin of the modern English word devil. Given all of this use of the term in older Hebrew texts, it might come as a surprise though to learn that modern Judaism actually rejects the belief in an all-evil entity, or in fallen angels. The Satan, then, is seen, as an agent, is seen as an agent of God, whose job it is to test humanity. Of course, there are several differing positions on this across modern Jewish sects, so this does not apply to all. In Islamic tradition, the word Satan is translated closely in Arabic as shaitan, but in this case, it is an adjective meaning astray that can be applied to both humanity and the jinn. However, the term is also used to refer to Satan in particular. That said, the Islamic name for the devil is Iblis, which it has been suggested may also have been derived from the word Diabolos. Iblis, an angel of God, refused to bow before Adam, God's creation. Iblis, being made of fire, felt that he was superior to man, who was made of clay. As a result, he was expelled from paradise and took upon himself the mission of tempting mankind into sin, into leading them astray. As such, Iblis is not so much the cause of evil, but more a temptation, and that followers of Islam are taught to resist Iblis's temptings through devout prayer and adhering to their beliefs. It was Iblis, in Islamic belief, that lured Adam and Eve into eating fruit from the forbidden tree, and thus causing their expulsion from paradise. By far the most references to the devil, however, exists within Christianity, and it is here that modern interpretations of such are mostly derived. In Christianity, Satan is the devil, and through several evolutions over time, this word represents an early Germanic use of the Latin word diabolus, which, as mentioned before, was borrowed from the ancient Greek word diabolos. While the Greek, while the Old Testament of the Christian Bible, and thus the same can be said of the Hebrew Bible, does include the same tempting of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Paradise as described in Islamic tradition, the serpent that tempts Eve into eating the fruit is not named, but is interpreted in modern times to represent Satan through its actions. Later, Satan appears to Jesus in the devil, tempting him three times. Satan also plays a direct role and is directly mentioned in several parables told by Jesus. It's important at this stage to note that other names are occasionally used to refer to Satan here with one such parable referring to Beelzebub. Demonstrating Christianity's influence from other religions, Beelzebub is likely in reference to a Philistine god, Baal-zebul, which was translated as Baal the Prince. 
Hence, Beelzebub and Baal are both names associated with the devil. In similar ways, the names Abaddon and Apollyon are both associated with the devil, for the reasons discussed in our episode focused on Abaddon, which was episode 9. Namely, that Abaddon was both used as an alternate name for the Hebrew Sheol, an analogue of Hal, and as an angel who ruled over the abyss. Even Moloch, who we covered off way back in episode 4, is considered analogous with the devil. Then there's Mephistopheles, the Antichrist, the list tends to go on. In other stories of the New Testament, Satan and his demons are able to possess humans, causing affliction. Judas Iscariot, the very disciple that betrays Jesus leading to his crucifixion, is said to have done so as a result of being possessed by Satan. And, of course, there is the Book of Revelation, itself also within the New Testament, but representing end times, times yet to come. Here, a vision of a great dragon with seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns, and a massive tail, itself reminiscent of Leviathan from episode 7, that is defeated by the archangels and once again thrown back to the earth. At this time, a voice identifies this Satan of Revelation with the Satan of the Old Testament by referring to it as the Accuser. Afterward, Satan is bound with chains and imprisoned for a thousand years within the abyss, later to rise again and bring war to the righteous. Not learning from his mistakes, Satan and his followers once again fail, and this time they are cast into the Lake of Fire, which is interestingly also associated with Egyptian punishment of evildoers in the afterlife. So what of Lucifer? that most famous name so often associated with Satan. While this story is most intriguing, as there really is no clear reference to any fallen angel by the name of Lucifer, except in books such as Dante Alighieri's Inferno and Milton's Paradise Lost, the reality is Lucifer is a name used in classical mythology to refer to the planet Venus, the morning star. Lucifer, therefore, was seen as the herald of the dawn and the bringer of light. In ancient Babylonian and Sumerian myth, Venus was synonymous with Inanna, whose own story seems to follow the motions of Venus within the heavens, and given the light of Venus is brightest in the morning, stories have arisen that it was cast out of the night sky. In the Bible, there exists one reference to Lucifer, in Isaiah chapter 14. This references the casting out and falling of the morning star but never references Satan or even suggests that this fallen star was in reference to an angel. It is merely an association with other references to Satan within the Bible that people have made this assumption. However, it should also be noted that Jesus himself is referred to as the light bringer and the morning star at various times throughout the Bible. Truth be told, there is a lot more to all of this, but to keep things simple, I'll leave it at that. If you're interested to learn more, the information's out there. Perhaps once again, it is simply the case of Christianity associating aspects of the occult with Satan. Of course, there is more that can be said, as Christianity's relationship with and fear of the devil evolved over time, but I will leave it at that for now. But before I go, let me take you briefly through a quick look at Satanism. There are two kinds of Satanism. Theistic Satanism and Atheistic Satanism. Without intending to cause any offence, I don't quite understand theistic Satanism, simply because it is opposed to Christianity, but is an aspect of Christianity itself. I mean, you can't actually believe in a literal Satan without in turn believing in the literal Christian God. To be honest though, I think this form of Satanism is probably minimal in terms of actual uptake. 
Atheistic Satanism, on the other hand, doesn't believe in a literal Satan, and thus doesn't believe in any god or gods beyond the self. Satan here is symbolic of opposition, of yin and yang, and of self-empowerment. In fact, the Church of Satan, the Satanic Temple, and other such organisations teach respect for fellow man and exert that the morals taught by contemporary religion should be common sense, and that followers should act in accordance with their own desires, provided it doesn't negatively impact others. With the exception that if someone does negatively impact the self, then they should be destroyed. Interesting choice of words. Note that I have highly simplified the ideas expounded within these organisations. Again, if you're interested, Google is your friend. And I think I'll leave it at that this week. The devil has worked its way into many aspects of pop culture, so much so that the idea is everywhere. I don't think I need to provide any examples here. This week's ghost story is called Ghost in the Cabin, and it comes from the Ghost Stories subreddit from Jefferson PSG. A few years back when I was 18, I was house-sitting for my uncle's friend. He'd asked me if I wanted to do it for just one day. It was a Monday, plus it was spring break, and he was going to let other people stay in it for the rest of the week. I figured it was easy money for one night, so why not? What I didn't know until the day before is that it was in the woods. A classic, creepy cabin in the woods. That said, I wasn't worried at all, because I didn't think I had any reason to be. I took some weed, some nice food, and my camera, and planned to go take some nice pictures. When I arrived, I discovered it was a gorgeous four-bedroom cabin with two bathrooms. It was alongside a river as well, and the closest other cabin was about 40 minutes away by car. I didn't think I'd be in any danger, because I always think that the chances that something would happen to me was quite low. Anyways, I was taking a shower after I came back from taking pictures. It was about 6pm, and it was getting dark already. Afterwards, I started watching a movie on my laptop, and I heard the floorboards creaking upstairs. I'd ignored it at first. After all, the cabin was pretty old, and it was all made out of wood, so it made sense that the house would creak occasionally. Keep in mind, I never believed in ghosts or ghoulies because it always just sounded preposterous to me. The house kept creaking, and I started getting annoyed by it. I moved to the kitchen in a lazy attempt to hopefully get away from the sounds. It didn't work, of course, but this time I heard footsteps upstairs, clear as day. Not just footsteps, it sounded as if they had heels on. Clop, clop, clop. I freaked out. As you probably would in the same situation. I stopped doing everything I was doing, and I listened for it again. This time I heard it moving all around the upstairs area, slowly, but very clear. I called out hello when I heard it moving, and it immediately stopped. A solid five seconds later, I heard the same sound directly behind me. I turned around and saw nothing. I was completely creeped out by this stage, and I searched the area downstairs to see if someone was in here messing with me. Nothing. Then, I heard the noise upstairs again, but this time, it was running. Loud, clear footsteps, running. I pulled my pocket knife from my pocket, and I gathered the courage to go upstairs. There were no lights on. I searched one of the bedrooms upstairs, and I found nothing. Next, I went to the master bedroom. The door was closed, and before I go on, I have to stress, I couldn't possibly make any of this up. Anyway, as I opened the door inch by inch, I saw a woman standing in the corner of the room by the window. She was wearing a black dress, and she had long black hair down to her arms. 
I could tell that she had heels on, but I couldn't make out her face since I was frozen and couldn't move out of shock or fear. I was stuck like this for about five seconds. When I finally gathered myself, I turned on the light and she suddenly disappeared completely, as if she was never there. I thought it could have been the shadows playing a trick on me, so I stupidly turned the lights back off. This time, I found her sitting on the edge of the bed, looking straight at me. Her eyes were completely black, and I could see eyeliner running down her face as if she'd been crying. She began to open her mouth very slowly, but I said, fuck that, and turned the lights back on and she disappeared again. So, as you can imagine, I immediately went downstairs, gathered all of my belongings, sprinted back to my car, and got the fuck out of there. I left the lights on in the house and in my car because I was extremely scared and didn't want her to appear somewhere and surprise me. I told my uncle's friend that the power went out to explain why the lights would be on. I definitely wasn't going to tell him the truth because he might have thought I was a crazy person or a drug addict, and I definitely wanted to get paid. To this day, I still sleep with the TV on. Regarding the woman I saw, I've searched the internet to find something similar, and the closest picture I can find is the movie The Woman in Black, which stars Daniel Radcliffe. The pictures I found from that movie are extremely similar. It wasn't a demonic experience, so I'm convinced that she actually died in that cabin and never left. Anyway, a few years later, I felt guilty. I called my uncle to get his friend's number so that I could talk to him and finally tell him what had happened. As it turns out, my uncle's friend had actually passed away in that cabin the previous year. He was found in the master bedroom, just dead. Apparently, he died of natural causes, but still he was only 63 and had no history of illness. He had no wife, no kids, and no close family. I didn't hear of his passing when it had happened because he kind of went MIA at the time. I'm absolutely terrified of whatever it is that's in that cabin. But I'm thinking of going back and filming once this pandemic is over. If I do, I'll let you know. The first review is of The Order Seasons 1 and 2, which you can find on Netflix. Season 2 just premiered last month, I think, June 2020. I started watching The Order because I wasn't sure what else to watch. I was going through the Netflix catalogue and it caught my eye simply with mention of magic, horror and werewolves. I mean, come on. The series follows Jack Morton as he enters college and joins the fictional Hermetic Order of the Blue Rose, initially with the intention of tracking down the father that doesn't know he exists, but he also gets involved in a hell of a lot more. After the initial antagonist is defeated at the end of Season 1, the series takes a very different turn, one that initially annoyed me as it changed main characters in ways that I didn't like. However, all of the changes were for the better and I found that I ended up enjoying season two more than the first. I guess what makes the order good is the sheer number of characters that it takes the time to build around. All of the main characters are developed well enough to play their role and to be an important part of the discourse. However, they are also somewhat one-sided. There's the stuck-up bitch that nobody really likes. There's the clown that's there for comedic relief. There's the sensible one. There's the voice of reason. And so on and so forth. While this is fine, it's also pretty transparent. And this makes up my main criticism of The Order, where it attempts to build depth, 
it comes off a bit shallow. That said though, the end of season 2 lines up a very interesting change of course yet again, so this may be different in series 3. In some ways, the Order feels like a modern day Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and for that, I am welcome. But, in other ways, it feels too much like it. Almost like it's stuck in the 90s. I enjoyed the two seasons, and I'll definitely watch a third, but this may be a little too light for some horror fans. Although I should note here, right at the end, that it is pretty gory at times. Second review is... Await Further Instructions, which was released in 2018. Await Further Instructions is an interesting British sci-fi horror, albeit a very strange one with an interesting thought-provoking premise. In some ways, it's not unlike The Twilight Zone, or more recently, and probably more appropriately, Black Mirror. The movie is set within a single house in the modern day, centred on a somewhat dysfunctional British family gathering together for Christmas. Overnight, the house is coated in an unbreakable, sort of metallic material, and all contact with the outside world is broken, except for the TV, upon which instructions appear from an unknown... benefactor, maybe? Over the course of the movie, these instructions get more and more strange, causing more and more harm to the protagonists. Sadly, the group is made up of highly conflicting individuals. All of which causes potentially unnecessary conflict and makes for nonsensical decisions. Then again, some of the things that happen in the movie are so ridiculous it'll make you laugh. The only problem is, I couldn't tell if that was the intention or not. For all of its slow build-up, it's very strange that the ending, which is nuts, I should add, beats viewers over the head with its point, almost to ensure that the meeting isn't lost on anybody. But if anything, this movie is far from predictable, at least in terms of the ending. How certain family members fare is pretty predictable, though, given some of their polarising attitudes. Still, it's compelling in its strangeness, and overall I enjoyed watching the movie through to its equally confusing and batshit insane ending. But I'm still not sure if it's worth recommending. If you have time and nothing else that you want to watch, then it's worth your time, I guess, and you may not regret it, or you might, I'm not, a, I'm not you after all. But if you have a backlog of movies to watch... There's no reason to jump on this one. Still, if you like them weird and you aren't put off by a really heavy-handed method of storytelling, at least in the end, then by all means, give it a shot. Okay. That was episode 14. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Why did I choose these topics well? The Cabin in the Woods story came to me early last last week, and I knew as soon as I read it that it would be a really good uh, story to include on the show because it's relatively scary and pretty cool. It doesn't necessarily fit in with the topic of the devil, but it's hard to get a ghost story that <laughs> matches the topic that you're trying to cover. Now, I was watching... Over the last week, I watched The Order, and I watched um, another TV show that I hope to finish, and I will add for next week, called Warrior Nun. What I had planned to do was review both The Order and Warrior Nun in this episode, because they would really suit the topic of the devil. However, I haven't finished watching Warrior Nun, so I couldn't, couldn't quite do that. 
So I'll push that back over to next week. I'll give you another two reviews next week, and that will be in there. The Devil, I think everyone's always interested to know what the story is behind it. We all think we know what the devil is or where it came from, but realistically, the history of religion, not just Christianity, but all religions, is so damn long that the story of it all and how it develops is really pretty cool. It's also far more um, in-depth than what I can put into 15 minutes or whatever <laughs> in a podcast episode, of course. But, um, you know, I hope that I did it some pretty good justice, at least in its um, very broad coverage. So that's that. Pretty, pretty simple and straightforward as to why I chose those topics. This week's topic, as well as this week's secret... <laughs> Is Satanism. So, you probably heard me in a couple of episodes ago, I was talking about some books that I owned, I owned the Necronomicon and stuff, and I might have mentioned offhand that I had also purchased the book of, uh, the Satanic Bible, from the Theosophical Society in Victoria. Now, I didn't mention anything else about that, but it is clear, I guess, that at some point in my life, I became interested in Satanism. It's kind of weird. But I didn't become interested in Satanism. Hmm, how do I put this? I guess I did initially become interested in Satanism because I was in my rebellious late teens. I was probably 19 or 20 when I bought that book. I listened to a lot of... I listen to a lot of the same music I listen to now, but I found myself being more influenced by it than I am now. Now I can see symbolism in things. Back then, I was infatuated by the symbolism. So, because I used to listen to bands like Marilyn Manson, who was uh, a priest, in inverted commas, at the time, in the Church of Satan, I wanted to learn about it. This is Anton LaVey's Church of Satan. So this was the first Church of Satan started back in the 60s or something. So I bought his book and I read it. And it's interesting. I didn't go any further with it. I read it. And I was like, okay, this is not for me. Because it's not... It is very much a religion. And it does include some aspects of, like, occultish magic stuff. And that was not what I was expecting from it. I expected it to be more sort of a philosophy thing. So I ignored Satanism for a long time, and I, I guess I kind of grew up and grew out of those tendencies. Um, it wasn't, you know, like I was saying, I was infatuated with the ideas, but I wasn't infatuated with death or with um, evil or things like that, which people think Satanism is. As I explained in this e episode, Satanism is really a, is pro-self. It's about being your own god, at least modern Satanism. Uh, a lot of people don't accept that, and, you know, it's it's funny that people who call themselves Satanists, even though they're atheistic Satanists, part of the reason they're doing that is because they like the fact that it pisses off Christians. So, yeah. Anyway, as I got older, and actually, well, probably only two or three years ago, I started to become interested in other forms of Satanism. Other forms of atheistic Satanism. I looked at them. There was the Church of Rash Rational Satanism. 
I think it was called, that I started to become interested in, because that is all just philosophy. And it's all just, you are in charge of yourself. There's no hierarchy. There's no nothing. But at the same time, you've got to buy books and you've got to sign up and be part of this group. And I just thought to myself, why do I need to sign up to be a Satanist to believe in myself? And although I had started looking into a whole bunch of different uh, groups, I guess you would call them, I just realized that it was a bit of a joke to me that these groups even existed because you're trying to be an individual. You're trying not to conform by being part of a group and conforming to a group. So I moved away from that and yeah, I'm not interested in that anymore, but just thought I would share that with you. Um, of course, my mother would probably hate to hear me <laughs> say that I was interested in Satanism, but again, it's not the devil that I was interested in. It was the idea that, you know, of self-empowerment and being in control of your own life and things like that, that really resonated with me. And I'm finding that I'm getting a lot of that kind of thing from meditation now. So, and that's much healthier and much less negative. I don't want to associate myself with negative things at the same time. Anyway, that's where I'm at at this point in my life. Who knows how things will change? Yet again, we have no reviews and that makes me a sad panda, but we do have only one episode left of season one. That's exciting. So that'll be out next week. I haven't even thought of a topic. Oh, wait, yes, I have. I don't know if I'm going to do it though, so I'm not going to tell you. Not going to tell you. Not going to tell you. So <laughs> hang around for it. Thank you for listening. If you do enjoy listening to the show, remember to click like, subscribe, review, do all of that fun stuff, help the show out, and I'll see you next week. Thanks. Chaos to the Fly might mostly be my little project, but it couldn't be what it is without the help of some key individuals and resources. So I'd like to thank the following. Thanks to Simon Exley for his brilliant music-making skills, providing all music used in the show. You can look for his work at inexilerecords.bandcamp.com. Thanks also to Mr. Mr. Yarn for his glorious voice work, which you can hear in the intro and outro. You can find him at disco underscore box on Twitter. And last but not least... Thank you to Simon Sherry, who provided the excellent artwork for the show, including our spooky mascot. Follow Simon at Simon Sherry on Twitter. Before I go, however, I should mention that the sound effects were obtained from Zapsplat.com. And if you're looking for me, you can find me at Mad Capsules on Twitter. Thanks for listening to another episode of Chaos to the Fly. It would really help if you could leave us a review on iTunes or simply share the podcast with others you feel may be interested. To keep the spooky conversation going, follow us at Chaos to the Fly on Twitter and Facebook. Back to work, flies. <laughs>